Amen. Thank you, Brother Ricky. If you have a Bible, turn with me, if you will, please, to the book of Proverbs. I hope that you've enjoyed our time in the book of Proverbs. I don't know about you, but I've been challenged greatly by our study through it. There have been a number of sermons in particular that as I was preparing for them and going through everything that the Scriptures have to say in this wonderful book about wisdom, that I was deeply challenged. We've looked at a lot of important themes and matters of our lives and the wisdom necessary that we have to have to be the people of God He's called us to be. We've looked at that wisdom here in the book of Proverbs, and it's confronted us in many ways. It's confronted us about anger. It's confronted us about our tongue. It's confronted us about the way we respond to correction. It's confronted us about wealth and money and our families, and a whole host of variety of other topics. Today we wrap it all up by considering again this concept of the fear of the Lord and how this ties it all together. And then as I've mentioned in the video this last week and then again in the 10 till slot this morning, uh, when we finish, some of you are wondering well, what's the next sermon series going to be. Bo and I are going to join in with the reading that the church is doing through the book of Romans. We won't be able to do a full exposition of the book of Romans, but we will grab a passage from each chapter that we're in as a church each week as we go through that, and we'll join you with that. So that's what the plan is going to be from now towards the end of the year, and look forward to doing that. Today, the book of Proverbs. One more message on the book of, the Pro book of Proverbs, and that is the question of the fear of the Lord. And so once again, the sermon is available for you. If you want to have that, you can certainly, if it's not up on the website, you can reach out to us. We'll make sure that you have it. Uh, essentially, there's just lots of passages from the book of Proverbs that we're going to go through here this morning. So let's pray together and ask God's blessings on our time. Father, we come before you. We silence and we still our hearts. Lest our prayers just simply be familiar habits. Lord, indeed, the God of heaven is our audience in this moment as we pray. We marvel at the thought of your holiness of your power, of your goodness. Lord, to think that a God such as you would have an interest in us, that you would know our names, every hair on our head, every thought before we think it, and that you would love us in our sin. It is indeed truly astounding, Father. And we worship you. Lord, as your people, gratefully redeemed by your grace, we pause our hearts and our minds this morning just simply to ask that you'd make us wise. That you would indeed impart wisdom to us such that we could please you Bless and strengthen our fellow man and live well as you designed us to. Help us, Lord, as we seek that wisdom to understand that fearing you is central to that. And having in our minds and in our hearts the correct posture and disposition to you is essential. May we not be paralyzed by that fear, 
But may we never for a moment be flippant, familiar, or routine when we talk to the holy. And so, Father, help us, we pray, as we once again dive into your word and commit ourselves to seeking truth. Help us to be faithful and help us to learn. Give me accuracy and precision with your word and open our eyes and our ears and our hearts and our minds such that we may know. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. We have been chasing after wisdom for 12 weeks. Wisdom for this matter, wisdom for that matter. Wisdom because it enables us to live well. We've discovered some things along the way. We've talked about some things. I'll bring many of them back up again today and just wrap it all together. What is wisdom? That's one question we've looked at. What is wisdom? At the very beginning of the series, Bo and I defined wisdom this way. Wisdom equals an understanding that results in good judgment such that we please God, do right by our fellow man, and flourish in our own lives. It is again the uh, understanding that results in good judgment. So it's the ability to understand the world and how it functions with its nuance in such a way that we make the right judgments. Because we constantly have to make judgments, don't we? And what are those right judgments or good judgments enable us to do? First and foremost, please God. That is, my brother and sister, why we exist. Before I am a husband, before I am a father, before I'm a president, before I'm a preacher, before I am anything, I am a creature created by God to please Him. And I cannot do that if I don't make the right judgments. And I cannot do that unless I have wisdom. So this wisdom enables me to make those judgments that are pleasing to God. But it's not just that. It's not one-dimensional. It's not a this or that, either pleasing God or helping other people. It is always, it seems to me, a both and in the kingdom. These good judgments that I make by wisdom enable me to please the Father but it also enables me and, and for you to do right by each other and strengthen each other. And then in those two things, pleasing the Father and doing right by other people, you and I flourish. We're going to talk about that today. Flourishing. How, do you, I, I suspect that there's probably nobody in this room that doesn't want to flourish that doesn't want to thrive. I mean, probably none of us in this room sit around daydreaming off with our minds in the distance, thinking about how great it could be if our lives were just stagnant. We all want to flourish and we all want to thrive. Well, how do you do that? Wisdom. We've also seen along the way that wisdom, to really have wisdom, the beginning of that, the very fountainhead of that, where all of this wisdom is going to come from, is in one simple little concept, and that is the fear of God. Now, why fear? Why is it that the fear of God is so important? I mean, in our culture today, fearing God seems to be a, a bit of a problematic concept. I mean, some people would say, fear God. I mean, who is he? This lofty being that's just judging everybody. And that's not politically correct, or that's not sort of culturally appropriate. Well, so what? 
Why does our culture get to have a say in that? They don't. Our culture, our people, and all that is in it was created by this one. So I suspect we've got it backwards. And maybe what we really ought to be concerned with, what we ought to be consumed by, is whether or not we are pleasing the one who brought us into existence. We are made by Him and we are made for Him. And so that's why a proper posture towards Him is what's most central of all. That's why fear. But what is fear? What do we mean by that? We took, looked at this along the way as well. Fear is not just this paralysis before God, so scared of Him that you could never say or do anything, and you just sit there. Fear is not in the parable of the talents. Remember this? To one, five talents were given. And what did he do with those five? He took them out and he did something with it. He utilized what God had given him to advance the kingdom. To another, two talents were given. And what did he do with it? He took those two talents and he utilized them in such a way that the kingdom of God was advanced through him. But to one person, only one talent was given. And this one person with one talent was so terrified of messing it up that he buried it in the sand and did nothing with it. That's not what we're after with the fear of the Lord. Not a paralysis here where we can do nothing. No, if fear of the Lord is simply the right posture of heart and soul before God. I, I fear, as I just prayed a minute ago, I fear that we are so familiar, given the rhythms and the patterns of our spiritual life, that we are so familiar within those patterns that we are literally thoughtless in the moments of our spiritual activity. Our prayers are words that we can dictate verbatim on autopilot. Meditation is nothing more than just a passing deep thought here or there. Confession of sin is always superficial and topical. I fear that we're so familiar with God that our communion with God is always stifled. Perhaps it would profit us to shudder, to quake a bit as we think about directing our words to heaven and the King who sits on that throne. That's what we mean by fear of the Lord. All right. The book of Ecclesiastes, many believe written by Solomon, who many believe wrote many of the Proverbs, concludes after puzzling us for so much of what he says by making it real simple for us. He says this, Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. And here it is. You want to you get down to it, a life that pleases God? Here it is. Listen to this. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is man's all. So there you have it, brothers and sisters. You want to live a life that pleases God. You want to live a life of communion with God. Then it comes down to this right here. Have a fear of God. That's that posture of reverence and awe that we never get over. Now, why do we do this? What does the book of Proverbs say to us about the fear of the Lord? This is a phrase that is repeated throughout the book of Proverbs. And I'll just make four observations here this morning about the fear of the Lord. Number one. The fear of the Lord is the basis of understanding and wisdom. In other words, if you don't have a fear of the Lord, which again, what is that? It's that posture of reverence and awe to God and everything we do. It is not a familiar spirit with God. God is not your homeboy. God's not one of your peeps. He, he's, not, he's not your BFF. 
He, you creature, listen to me. You creature, listen to me. He is the creator. He's the one who spoke and brought it all into existence. He is the one who sits enthroned with all power and wisdom and holiness. And therefore, when we come before Him, there is always a fear and a trembling when we come into the presence of a holy living God. And what the book of Proverbs is going to show us is that posture right there is the very beginning of wisdom and understanding. In other words, it's in that posture that you become a knower. Now, I don't want to nerd out here. I'm a, I'm a philosopher by training. One of the major areas of specialization is a branch of philosophy called epistemology. You know what epistemology is? Epistemology is the study of knowledge itself. And we think about all the cognitive things involved in our knowing. You know what we almost never think about in my branch of philosophy? We almost never think about how postures of heart and soul could actually enable us to see something or understand something that we otherwise could not have seen. In other words, we tend to think that if we just follow the formula the right way, it will result in us gaining new knowledge or information. But actually what the book of Proverbs is going to show us is that there are many things, especially about God, that one cannot understand no matter how good your formula is. You can only really understand when you stop everything and you just posture yourself in the right way. And there's so many of us that go about our work with great intelligence, following all the best formulas, but at the end of the day, our posture is such that God would always hide from us. Watch what the book of Proverbs says to us here. The point I'm making to you is, listen, if you don't have that fear of God, that posture of heart and soul, don't expect to understand who God is. Don't expect to commune with Him. You say, my prayers, they feel like they're bouncing off the ceiling. Maybe start with humility and pride. Check that. Listen to what it says. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Now listen, I would submit to you, the book of Proverbs wouldn't say this kind of thing as often as it does if it didn't mean it. That the fear of God is the beginning of knowledge. That is to say, until you get the right posture before God, you're really not going to understand. But fools, it says, despise wisdom and understanding. You cannot obtain wisdom without the posture of heart and mind that he describes here. Proverbs chapter 2, verse number 4 through verse number 5. If you seek her like silver, who's the her there? It's wisdom. If you seek wisdom like silver, in other words, something that's precious to us. That's how you pursue silver, right? And gold and fine jewels as precious things and we labor hard for them. So in other words, if you labor hard and long and, and diligently for wisdom, seek her like silver and search for her as hidden treasures, listen to this, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. In other words, in the pursuit of knowledge and wisdom, those two run hand in glove together. In the fear of the Lord. Proverbs chapter 15, verse number 33. The fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom, and before honor is humility. Note the relationship here between humility and understanding, humility and knowledge, humility and instruction. We want to know God. We want to understand His Word. We want to, we want to live the lives He's put here for us to live. Then it all necessitates humility and that posture before God. 
Proverbs chapter 9, verse number 10, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So again, you just see this theme recurring again and again and again. Now let me make this statement and point you to a parable of Jesus, I think, where Jesus is making this very point. What Proverbs is telling us here is that you will never properly understand God. You will never properly understand His kingdom. And therefore, you'll never properly understand the world as a whole until you fear Him. Until your heart is humbled before Him and postured before Him in a posture of reverence and awe. And that there's no place in the life of the Christian for a haughty spirit. It's it's found so many times throughout the Scriptures that God hates pride and arrogance and He loves humility. And so we are a people that are called to humble ourselves before God. But here's the promise, that as we do that, God will reveal Himself to us and God will bless us. Again and again and again, this is the pathway that God puts before His people. Now the opposite of that is also true. For the prideful, for the arrogant, for the haughty in spirit, God may indeed keep you from understanding. You mean God might deliberately let me go without knowledge? Yep. Listen to this. Mark, Matthew chapter 13, verse number 10 through verse number 15. <clears throat> and the disciples came to him and said, Lord, why do you teach him parables? I mean, you have to understand here, this was unique. I mean, there weren't teachers that did this, right? I mean, the, the, the way that the Jewish rabbis would teach was not this way. It was very, it was rote memory. It was very, very, very much methodological like that. And then along comes Jesus, who has just this phenomenal way of talking with people in such a way that they can understand. He does parables and metaphors and things like this. But the disciples are curious about this. Lord, we're curious about your actual methodology. Why do you, why do you teach him parables? Listen to what Jesus said. <clears throat> and he answered and he said to them, because it has been given to you to know the, the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not. Who's the them there? It's those people that are listening to him and yet not understanding him. Most importantly, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Now, these are highly educated people. These are highly intelligent people. So literally what Jesus is saying is, I'm teaching parables so that you can understand and so that they will not. Who are they? They're fishermen. I mean, these are as blue-collar as you get. These are as uneducated as you get. Jesus teaches in such a way so that they can understand and yet the most educated cannot. And I'm not saying this is not a matter about education. It's a matter of heart. It's a matter of heart, y'all. But he says to them, it's so that you may understand, but to them they will not. For whoever has, to him it will, it will be given, and to whoever, and he will have an abundance. But to whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. Now listen to this, what he says, verse 13. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear nor do they understand. And in them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, Hearing you will hear and shall not understand, and seeing you will see but shall not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull, their ears are hardened of hearing, and their eyes have closed, lest they should see and their eyes with, their, with their eyes and with their ears, and lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. Wow! Jesus is teaching in a way deliberately to reveal to those and to hide from some. That's a hard saying, isn't it? It's actually not that hard against the larger backdrop of the entire Bible 
that God hates the prideful and He loves the humble. And God judges the prideful and He rewards the humble. What's my point in this? Fear God. Don't ever get so familiar with the rhythms and the habits and the customs. And I have to tell you, as one who would be, for a lack of better way of saying this, a professional Christian. I mean, a professional in the sense that, you know, the positions and the titles and the nature of my job and what I do. Man, I pray a lot. And I pray a lot publicly. And I do a lot. And I, and I do a lot publicly. And for me, you know what the curse is? It's that I can get caught up in just the know-how of doing this in such a way that I go about doing this without actually engaging the Father. Fear God. Don't ever get so familiar. You are speaking to the one who created heaven and earth with a word. You are speaking to the one that literally, as we are speaking, is upholding all things by the word of His power. Don't be familiar there. Let it always move you to awe. Second thing I want you to see. The fear of the Lord is not just the basis of wisdom and understanding. The fear of the Lord also causes us to run from evil. I mean, simply put, if you fear God, <laughs> you're going to stop it, <laughs> right? Whatever, what, stopping what? Well, whatever that sin pattern and habit is. And I understand there's a lot of things going into that, and it's probably a little more complicated than that, the way it messes, uh, interfaces within our lives. But still, the point is to make here is that when we fear God, it gives us pause about some of the things that we do, knowing that we're going to stand before Him one day and give an account for this. Listen to what the Proverbs say. Proverbs 16, verse number 6. In mercy and truth, atonement is provided for iniquity. And by the fear of the Lord, one departs from evil. The point's simple. When we fear God, we turn from evil. Proverbs 23, verse 17. Do not let your heart envy sinners, but be zealous for the fear of the Lord all the day. Don't let your heart envy sinners. What does that mean? I mean, well, he's pointing to what you and I do. We watch those who have. We watch those who are. Have what? Luxury, position, fame, power, you name it. Those who are. Those who are established. Those who are at the level are doing the things that we really want for ourselves. And most of the time, they're lost people. I mean, there's just a tendency that believers have to look on what the non-believer has and how it is that they flourish, it seems, in this world and have in this world and envy and covet and all of those things. And here's the problem. When we do that, we will be much more inclined to give ourselves over to the very things and methods that allow them to get those things. And yet the very things and methods that allow them to get those things often are not things that please the Father. And so, if your heart is filled with envy for that which the world has to offer, you will most likely give yourself over to the world. And so the Proverbs say, do not let your hearts envy what sinners have. But instead, we should be zealous 
for the fear of the Lord. Now, isn't that interesting? Normally, when we're zealous for something, it's exactly that. It's a something that we're zealous for, like an object per se. Be zealous for the kingdom. Be zealous for the gospel. Here, we're told to be zealous for a disposition. That there's a disposition I'm supposed to have and that you're supposed to have and I'm to be zealous for that disposition. In other words, what he's saying to us is you and I should constantly cultivate and nurture within our hearts and minds a fear of the Lord and be diligent in so doing. Proverbs chapter 8, verse 13, listen to this. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogance and the evil way and the perverse mouth I hate. So in other words, what does the fear of the Lord do? It causes us to shun away from evil and pride and arrogance. Once again, note the relationship between humility, the fear of the Lord, and wisdom. These are all wrapped up in the same enterprise. So what is the book of Proverbs teaching us here? The fear of the Lord will bring health to you because it will cause you to run from evil. Why does that bring help for you? Simple. Remember this simple principle. Evil always destroys. Sin and evil are cancers, blemishes on God's good creation. And when those things are present, they always destroy. Sin always destroy. Maybe just a little bit, maybe a lot. Sure, there are different levels of consequence for our actions throughout this life and what we do. I learned, for example, when I used to teach classes in the prisons in a program from North Carolina where I came from. We have similar programs at New Orleans now. It's just they're in a place I can't get to to teach. But I learned as I spent an entire semester with those men that for some of those men, yes, there's lifelong patterns that got them there. But for some of those men, the difference between them and me was about a five-minute window of decision where they were doing the exact same kinds of things I was doing in the exact same kinds of ways I had been doing them. The only difference was they got caught and I didn't. Or that they took it that next step forward because they let their anger get control of them one time. And the consequence of that is enormous. Sin always destroys. It's easy to see when the consequence is enormous. But there are some sins we commit on a regular pattern basis and we don't see the consequence for them. But don't be a fool. Sin always destroys, even if only a little bit. It might not be something catastrophic like this, but it will be death by a thousand pinpricks. Sin always destroys. Thirdly, the fear of the Lord brings health and well-being to our lives. Let me just say it to you this way. Now, this is a generalization. Yes, I'm well aware of the fact that there are lots of people throughout the history of the world and even in our lives that have been faithful and they died early. Yep, I know. So it's a generalization. But here's kind of the, the point of the generalization. When you obey God, life goes better. Things function better when you're obedient to God. Why? Because He's the one that made it, and there's a blueprint of how it's supposed to function and operate. And just generally speaking, things work better when they work the way they're supposed to work. And what this is supposed to do, the way this is supposed to work, is that I would give my life now back unto the Lord. That I come from God and I proceed back to God. This is the point of my life. He is the one that brings me into existence. And my life, its purpose, its, its telos, the thing I'm going for is to go back to Him. And so when I do that, things seem to work better. 
And you don't always see it in the day-to-day, the specific details, but it's like watching a child grow when you look across the big picture of your life. It's so obvious to see. I mean, look, I can, I can look back on my life in those first 18 years when I did not know Christ and how I lived and what did I have to show for it? Nothing but scandal and brokenness and shambles. And then I met Christ at the age of 18 years old and I threw myself on Him. And no, I haven't obeyed Him perfectly along the way. But for the most part along those last 25 years, this is what's happened. As I've given myself to Christ, boy, I look back and I have no other explanation for my life other than God. Things tend to work better when you're obedient to God. Proverbs chapter 3, verse number 7 through verse number 9. Listen to this. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. What is he saying? He's saying it will be good for you if you're obedient. Proverbs chapter 10, verse number 27. Fear the Lord, for the Lord prolongs days, but the years of the wicked shall be shortened. Again, God will prolong the days of those who fear Him. He will shorten the days of those who don't. Proverbs 14, verse 26, the fear of the Lord, uh, in the fear of the Lord, there's strong confidence and his children will have a place of refuge. Now, here's this idea that I've shared with you before. There, it's not just that it will be well with me, it will be well with those who come after me as well. God's blessings on my life have the tendency to spill over onto other people. I've said it to you this way before numerous times. You and I are all like ships in the sea passing through the water, and each of us is creating a wake that other people swim in and behind. For you, consider your own life and your own story, the good and the bad. When you were a child, there were other people in your life, your parents and others, that made decisions on your behalf. And sometimes those decisions were not even necessarily directed at you, but they were decisions that they made for themselves or for their family that had a deep impact on you, and you had no control over that. Some of your greatest wounds in life have come from the decisions that other people made that you had no power over. What happened? You were swimming in someone else's wake. Some of you had the good fortune of being born into a family with God-loving, God-fearing parents, and they lived their lives well. And you know what? They weren't perfect, but for the most part, you swam in their wake. You didn't have a choice in that. That was their choice. But by making that wake and you swimming in it, you got to reap the benefits of it. Right? It's easy to see the ship in the sea and the wake metaphor when you think about it from your own life and how you were in somebody's wake at one point. Well, now listen to me. I'm telling you, I'm pleading with you, you're a ship too, and there are other people that swim in your wake. What kind of wake is that? Is it a wake that reaps destruction in other people's lives? Or is it a wake that is life-producing? Listen, here's the point that Proverbs wants to make. If you live well by obeying and fearing God, it'll not just be good for you, it'll be good for your children too. It'll spill over into their lives. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 27. The fear of the Lord is the fountain of life to turn one away from the snares of death. Wow! You want to avoid destruction? Fear God and obey Him. People may still shoot arrows at you. Problems may still come, but across the whole of life, fear God and obey Him, and you avoid the snares of death. Proverbs 22, verse number 4. 
by humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. Wow. So my point thirdly is the fear of the Lord brings health and well-being to our lives. One more point. This is a passage I actually looked at in the first sermon. I want to circle back as we sort of tie it all together. Let's, let's end where we began. Fourth point. <clears throat> Failing to fear God leads to isolation from God. The opposite of what I just said about how if we live well in obedience and, and fear of God produces life in our lives. Well, the opposite of that is also true. You don't fear God. And just pause there for a moment because there's probably not many of us in this room that say, well, I, I fear God. Well, hold on. Let, let your actions be the indicator as to whether or not I or you am really fearing God. Because... Truth be told, there's probably in all of us aspects of our lives where we just do our own thing and, and make excuses for it and rationalize it and all those other things. And there, the fear of God does not have its rightful place on that matter in our lives. Well, the fa- failing to fear God produces isolation. Listen to Proverbs chapter 1, verse 25 through 29. This is a scary passage. Because you disdained my counsel and would have none of my rebuke, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your terror comes. When your terror comes like a storm and your destruction like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, then they will call on me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but they will not find me. Why? Because they hated knowledge and did not choose to fear the Lord. I mean, look, the book of Proverbs constantly is laying out the very same kinds of message that God gave to His children, the children of Israel, as they were about to go into the promised land, the end of Deuteronomy. And and you find this pattern even in the teachings of Jesus. I mean, folks, there's a lot that's complicated about Christianity. There's a lot that's confusing. I mean, there are some doctrinal matters that we spend our entire lives as scholars trying to make sense out of. And then, even then, we still debate it and do all sorts of things. Yes, I know that there's a lot about our faith that really is difficult and complicated. But y'all, there's a lot about it that's just not... There's a lot about it that really is painfully simple. God would say to the children of Israel in the book of Deuteronomy, I'll read the passage in a second, God would say again throughout the book of Proverbs, God would say again on the lips of Jesus in John chapter 10, He would say it again and again. Listen, you you have a choice. You can choose life or you can choose death. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 15 through 18. See, I set before you, this is as we're about to go into the promised land, and God's urging them to be obedient and faithful. I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to Him, to keep His commandments, decrees, and laws, and then you will live and increase. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you're entering to possess. But if your hearts turn away and are not obedient, if you're drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land. You are crossing the Jordan to enter in and possess. And then in the book of Proverbs, I'm giving you counsel. Take it. It's for your good. If you don't, there's only death. The teachings of Jesus, the thief has come to steal, to kill, and destroy. 
But I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. First Baptist. It really is that simple. Death or life. Obedience or rebellion. Fear of the Lord or a haughty spirit. May we fear the Lord. Father, we love you. And we desire to please you. Break us from the routines that keep us from knowing you well. Instill within us a disposition of reverence and awe in both the way we approach you and in the way we live our lives. May we be ever mindful that what we do in moment by moment by moment We'll stand before you and give an account. We love you. We bless you. We praise you in Christ's name. Amen.